0: This is the Doctor Who Podcast,
1: and you are most welcome.
0: Continuing with our series of regeneration stories, we've reached utopia.
1: Yes, hello and welcome to episode 263 of the Doctor Who podcast, and as James said very eloquently in the high energy Uh, intro. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Eloquently,
0: (laughs) high energy intro. How wrong can you be with your first
1: sentence? (laughs) Well, you know, I I like to throw in a few curveballs, but we've reached episode 8 of our Regeneration series, uh, and we're discussing Utopia. We got a one-way ticket to Utopia.
0: Ah, yes, very good. Now that's a song reference, isn't it? Is it? I thought it was. Yes, I thought it... you were being clever and witty.
1: Uh, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I don't know what You're I...
0: not, and I've got it wrong. What a fantastic start. Yes, welcome to the Doctor Wrong podcast. <laughs> the Doctor What
1: podcast? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yes, but whilst it's not strictly a regeneration story in the traditional sense, i.e. there isn't a regeneration for the Doctor... I, I remember this regeneration having a pretty amazing impact on me as I was watching this, um, just because I didn't realise it was the Masters, so it, it, it took me completely by surprise, so we thought it would be a good idea to talk about this story, and, and again, in in a way the way the new production team has started to use regeneration as a bit of a MacGuffin And, and, and certainly, you know, I think when fans of the show start seeing this regeneration energy now... And it's not a regeneration; it gets all the fan juices flowing, and um, yeah, it, it's very exciting. But before that, listen. Before that, we we we're still being inundated with uh, with questions that uh, that people want to know our opinion about. So I've got a few more. Have you heard the episode yet that went out last week that Trevor and I took part in? Yes, I have. Yes. Ah, right. So you know that we were asked, is Leeson from Birmingham? Do you have any
1: comments on that? I, uh, well, I, 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 can, I can categorically say I'm not from Birmingham. <laughs> uh, I, I'm from the Midlands. Uh, and in fact, I've noticed in uh, in Jenna Louise uh, some very similar vowel sounds and sort of flattening of vowels that, that, uh, that I have. And I think, so I think she's from up up this way. I'm from the Midlands, which uh, for any transatlantic or, or indeed of uh, foreign listeners to the show... To put it in some kind of context, it's, it's kind of like the Badlands, the wastelands between Scarrow, between sorry, on Scarrow, between the Fahals and the Carleds. Not a lot goes on here. No. Well, there you go.
0: No, I, I hope we've enlightened you. Can you imagine? You you got fifty years of Doctor Who to ask us about, and the question this chap comes out with Augustus um, was, "Are you from Birmingham?" But there you are.
1: Yeah, I'm not from Birmingham. I've never even been to Birmingham.
0: <laughs> I knew we weren't going to get through that little piece without at least attempting a uh, a Birmingham accent. Anyway, uh, moving on to some more interesting questions. Well, arguably less interesting questions, I suppose. We've had a couple come through on, on Twitter. Uh, first one is from Paul Davis. That's at PaulDavis44. That seems like a very like, sort of protracted name. He asks, following Dalek and human nature, which Big Finish play would you like to see adapted for television? Now, I know you haven't listened to every Big mm. Finish play, but uh, from those that you can remember... It's least.
1: easy. If we're going to have, and then there's been a lot of talk of this, and I suspect it will never happen... I'd like to see Dark Eyes. Dark Eyes, to me, uh, the big finished play, is is so so visual in the, in the audio that I, I feel like I've seen it. I feel like I've seen it. And having seen Paul McGann in Night of the Doctor, uh, I, oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. I'd, lo- I'd love to see it realised. Uh,
0: would you like to see it realised with Paul McGann or with whoever happens to be the Doctor at
1: the time? With Paul McGann.
0: With, with hmm. Dalek. I mean, Dalek was a Sixth Doctor story, originally mm. on Big Finish. And Human Nature was a Seventh Doctor novel, actually, uh, mm. by Paul Cornell. Yeah. So, no, um, if you had to have a Big Finish play adapted now for Peter Capaldi, or let's say Matt Smith, given that we've not seen Capaldi on screen for more than about, what, ten seconds? I'd still
1: like to see Dark Eyes. <laughs> I mean, because, because I think it's a real rip-roaring tale. And, and it's, it's got some really nice... I mean, it's it's almost... It, it's, it's a box set and it's almost like a season arc in itself yeah. because each episode is almost individual from the others although there is the very strong linking theme mm. but they've got the, each episode has got its own feel and uh, you feel like you're going on in an individual jaunt uh, yeah and yeah I think Capaldi could do it no I I think anyone
0: could do it because it is a strong enough story and I think that was the first time that Nicholas Briggs wrote four stories that linked into each other for a very long time he'd done it for some of the standalone Dalek spin offs. But it, it benefited from his way of storytelling so well, and, and so much so that Dark Eyes 2 was actually a very big disappointment because the episodes that he didn't write, I mean, they weren't bad, but they were mm. not Briggs episodes, and you know that was a real shame. I felt yeah,
1: it's it's definitely Nick Briggs's finest work for, for Big Finish. Sometimes I, I mean, because he he can pull it out of the bag and he can write really good ones. But occasionally you get them, and you get them in the Fourth Doctor. I've noticed the most in the Fourth Doctor series that you think, is this a, is this a budgetary thing? Because he's not paying himself extra, presumably, for, for writing the episodes. But you know, he's there. He can, he can bosh together a, a reasonable story. But sometimes they feel a bit like filler.
0: Ah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I would say that the early days of Big Finish, Briggs hit the mark nine times out of ten. And I was really, really chuffed when I saw that it was one of his stories coming up. Very much look forward to it. But you're right. There have been a couple that just feel like they've been marking time. The Nowhere plays. I don't know if you've heard mm. that one. It was a, mm-hmm. a Sixth Doctor story that really shouldn't have lasted more than 20 minutes or so. But somehow it dragged on for a couple of hours. But let me answer the question as well. I, I think there are three. And obviously I've had the benefit of actually thinking about this. <laughs> whereas Leeson hasn't.
1: Mm, yeah, cheater. Yeah, sorry. Um, I would go
0: back to the very early Big Finish plays. The Fearmonger. Uh, it's a story written by John Blum. It's it's the Seventh Doctor and Ace story, and it felt as though it was just continuing from the TV series. I mean, you picked up the action right in the middle of the story, so you were playing catch up. You know, it, it just kind of worked. It was a political thriller. An alien monster had infiltrated British politics in some way, and oh, it was just it was just really really good. I remember that one, and thinking at the time how good it would be on TV. Project Twilight, which was uh, a vampire story um, for the Sixth Doctor. Very creepy, London-based, and, of course, it had Evelyn in it. I'd love to have seen Evelyn on the television as well. At Paul Davis 44 on Twitter. Thank you very much indeed. Um, next question. Gav Wood, Twitter handle is at Wood underscore Gav. How much better could the 80s have been if J&T hadn't exiled Robert Holmes? Are we talking the 80s in
1: general? <laughs> <laughs> doctor who ate his i okay, yeah that makes the question easier to answer um i you know i don't know um given well, was he really exiled well yeah well i think it's fairly well documented that jnt it's the spin that people have put on it is, is that he was fearful of having huge characters from the past because he in a way that he felt he felt some somehow insecure and that you know this was his era and he didn't want these huge behemoths coming back you know Hinchcliffe I think was was scheduled to, to or he'd uh, been approached to write some stuff but I think uh JNT had, had put the kibosh on that and Hinchcliffe and Holmes were, were it was perhaps the golden era wasn't it? it's often seen as the golden yeah, era so I think he met may, he maybe me felt be. a little bit uh, intimidated by that but if you look at if you look at the scripts that Robert Holmes did supply in the 80s they they weren't uh he, he was perhaps past his storytelling best
0: <laughs> and this was going to be my point too I think aside from Caves then what did we have? The Two Doctors and the Mysterious Planet? Mm. Yeah I, I think he's written better so first of all I, I would contend that he wasn't really exiled he just wrote perhaps fewer stories than he would have done had T not uh, fallen out with him um, and secondly I don't know um when you look at Pip and Jane Baker stories, I think, well, yeah, I would have preferred Robert Holmes and you know, Glenn McCoy, Al- almost anybody. I think I'd have said I'd have probably liked another Holmes script. But that's that's me thinking about his classic writing, you know, the the Tom Baker and Hinchless stuff, as you say.
1: This is this is the thing though. Um, writing a show like Doctor, you're given anything you can write about. Anything uh, the, the title can take you anywhere, any situation you could manufacture anything. And in a way, that that's that's the hardest thing to do this is a problem that they found uh, eric sayward and and jnt eric sayward in particular found in trying to recruit writers in in the 80s was that you know a lot of people just couldn't do it because it's like saying it's like sitting someone down and saying tell me a story you know you might have lots and lots of stories that you could tell but, but to be put on the spot like that to be able to say anything about anything anywhere is is really intimidating where do you take it what do you do i think there's only so much so many genuinely good ideas you can come up with in, in that sort of format as as is exemplified by uh, the rusty Davies scripts towards the end and some some would say the Moffitt scripts Moffitt scripts although i think Moffitt has managed to keep the quality up a lot more
0: yeah uh, but yeah, yeah you, agree.
1: You, because when you love something so much and you're so close to it, it it's hard it's, it's hard to keep coming up with good ideas
0: no it is and i think that's why you get the balance i think certainly towards the end of any producers or script editors traditional script editors that is tenure you ended up getting a mix of new writers and old hands and it was because they needed some people who were reliable and I think it went off that scale towards the end of the 80s where people started and particular JNT started defining a good writer as someone who could get a script in on time didn't actually matter about the quality of the story or, yeah. or, or the concept that was almost um you know something that he wasn't that concerned about but uh, but anyway yes thank you very much indeed uh, for the question and i guess we should stop talking about questions although we have had some others as well or else we're going to take up the whole of this show talking about questions and not about utopia
1: Right, well, well, well I, I've watched this. Uh, I've watched this very recently for the purposes of this episode, and uh, as is well documented in, in audio form on the on the Doctor Who podcast, uh, I, I dip very rarely back into Russell T Davis, especially the Tenth Doctor Zero. And the last time I dipped into this episode was maybe about a year ago, and I came away completely cold. And I was reminded of all the things that I didn't like about The Tenth Doctor, that I didn't like about the RTD era. To cut a long story short, I watched it again this time and I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) A a bit of perspective um, and and a different mindset because Matt Smith's series is over. There's a big full stop there. We don't know what the new series is is to bring. And it was kind of nice to go back, to go back and sort of, um, without a series running currently at the moment with a Doctor we know and a production field that we know, it felt like going back, and this is the first time that new Who has felt to me like classic who <laughs> do you know what I mean It felt like enough distance enough time had passed that this felt like like classic who
0: I, I think I do know what you mean, but for different reasons i i don 't feel watching this story reminded me of an old four episoder or something oh no, no. but I, but I do remember the excitement that built up inside me when I was figuring out that there were so many different loose ends being drawn together here, the you are not alone thing was amazing, and I remember thinking, Yana, you are not alone, and the face of Bo's prediction and so on, and I remember thinking, well who is, who is this person? I remember at one point, through something that he said, thinking, hang on then, he's 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 another version of the Doctor I think there's a line in there that almost makes you think that um, and then you get the, the twist around to, no, he is the master. Mm. And, and, and certainly I know what you mean from sheer anticipation. I think it's probably RTD's best script. And um, I think it certainly was up to that point anyway. But I loved it too. It, it's got shades of classic Who in it. Certainly there's, I think, a big tribute, um, or at least a homage to Ark in Space here. Um a civilization, civilization yes. being indomitable. Being indomitable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indomitable again. But the but in terms of story, there's not really very much there, is there? It's actually a very, very scant plot. It's a character story and, and perhaps that's why it's so mm. good, because Davis
1: writes characters so well, and uh, when you have Derek Jacobi playing the characters that you've written, <laughs> yeah. then uh, you know all the better. It helps but, uh, because uh, he played, Professor Yana is an absolute delight. Um, he is because Jacobi is able to um, to portray you know for the for the first quarter of the episode this absolutely gorgeous affable man who is just trying to do the right thing and is lovingly bumbling and. Uh, and like you said James, uh, i avoided the internet by this point while well, an original broadcast so i didn't know it was going to be the master returning i didn't know and i just thought oh this is a nice nod because he played the master in that audio thing that that sort of yeah. sank without trace um so this is a kind of a nice nod and i still didn't realize and then there's the little <laughs> flashes of understanding that he has and then the yeah. drums and just the moments and and this is a, I mean, an actor of huge standing. And he, he performs all this stuff so wonderfully. And, mm. and as you get later on in the episode, the, it's, the, it's the dawning realisation that y- you realise what's going to happen. I, mean, I don't know whether people did uh, that, that didn't know that uh, Derek Jacobi had played a, a version of The Master in the Audio, whether, whether they had the, that dawning moment at the same time. But either way... You you begin to realise that you know that there's, there's something. Up. By the time the pocket watch comes comes out, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that wonderful little relationship between him and um, I forget her name, Chan, Chando, Chando, oh,
0: Chando. I Chando. think it's Chip Chiro, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, the actress. Now that's that's the one character that did annoy me. I have to say. Really. I was, I, I was quite pleased when she got an electric cable no. stuck in. No. Yeah. Chando. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I the the most annoying scene in this and you, you know when I like, we've, we've talked in the past and you've said certainly within Eccleston's era and quite a lot of tenants there's what you define as fist in the mouth moments where yes. you just have to bite down now the scene mm. between Chan Tor and
1: Martha for me is one of those scenes so really naff oh where she try where, where she tries to get her to not say Chan and Dor yeah uh, like, suffixing prefixing everything she says that's probably the one thing in this episode I, I I don't like you know it reminds me of though in the second episode of series one where Rose has that uh, exact conversation with the with the maintenance engineer yes and it's supposed to be that little humanistic sort of moment that they have and with um, with what's her face from the unquiet death
0: absolutely and I was thinking of exactly the same moment so maybe this is something or it's a character beat that Davis comes back to but you know The sets look amazing. Um, I'm slightly dubious about there being some kind of petrol-driven vehicle roaming around the surface of the planet in, what was this, three
1: billion or something years in the future? Petrol-driven, how do we know? I mean, Professor Yana... uh, uh, It was a Ford, I think. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't necessarily have to be run on petrol. Professor Yana had uh, had built all that circuitry out of food. I mean he was a genius uh, well actually while we're on the subject of chandor oh okay um, we're not anymore I, for the purposes of this we are back to chandor <laughs> um something occurred to me I've, I've watched quite a bit of um of rtd era who and some some classic who, since we last spoke james and, and i i was minded of uh, of something that we, we had a bit of a, you know, a discussion about uh when we were talking about the twin dilemma and it's about that scene towards the end where where the doctor uh, doesn't seem to uh, doesn't seem to acknowledge someone's feelings. It's um, oh yes, uh, yeah. You know the, the geezer at the end, and he he says, uh, "I haven't got anyone to go back mm. to." And the doctor says, "Yeah, I can mm. see that," and then wanders off. Your argument was that this was completely out of character, and there was no precedent for this. For you, it was it was too much. It was too far because mm. he, he always cares about mm. the people that he meets on his travels. This is not the case. Uh, and uh, i have audio uh, proof, proof proof of this from the episode which we're talking about now so i mean i i know this is kind of like the guy the guy in the pub that comes back the next <laughs> night with the proof <laughs> to win his argument but um but it is relevant because we're talking about uh, utopia so i'll play it to you now
2: the last of my species too though sorry what was your name
1: My assistant and good friend chanzo a survivor of the Malmuth. this was their planet malcasero before we took refuge The city outside, that was yours. Tan, the conglomeration died, though. Conglomeration? That's what I said! You're supposed to say sorry. Oh, yes. Sorry. (laughs) There we go, you see. That's a
0: totally different set of circumstances there, I think.
1: No, 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 it didn't occur to him.
0: I see what your point is there, certainly, but it it wasn't a character trait that they were trying to establish with a Tenth Doctor. We knew that that was an aberration. Whereas with a Sixth Doctor, because it was his first story, you didn't actually know as to whether they were trying to set up this character as an uncaring Time Lord or whether it was something that was just, you know, kind of in the tail end of his stabilisation process. And... I, I don't know. I, I I see where you're going, and I understand why. And I actually think it may have rung a bell in my mind when I
1: heard that line when I rewatched mm. Utopia as well. But um, there are other examples, there, and I've watched Rose recently. And uh, he when he, the, the Ninth Doctor keeps forgetting. He keeps thinking about the nesting, and he. Um, Rose has to keep saying, that oh, that's Mickey, he's a person, and you just uh, got Yeah, no,
0: another, another good point, yeah. but I, I think that's a bit different. I think the Ninth Doctor does care, he's just thoroughly emotionally damaged, he forgets to say it sometimes, and I think that's probably true of the, of the Tenth Doctor in the clip that you just played too, whereas in The Twin Dilemma, I think we were supposed to believe he really didn't care. No, yeah,
1: it just didn't occur to him, just didn't occur to him, and then yeah. late, later he went, oh yeah, I suppose, yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah. Talking about those scenes, certainly where... Tennant is with Jacoby the screen is absolutely you just can't take your eyes off it can you it is absolutely mm. enthralling the interaction between those two actors is is amazing and it's not just because of the exciting dialogue that goes on between them I mean there are times when they're talking about quite unimportant stuff it's just a case of the two of them are, are together on screen and they are brilliant. And I don't know about you, Leeson, but it absolutely makes me wish Jacoby could have at least signed a two or three-story contract, rather than um, having
1: Sim come in at the end. Well, yeah, do you know I, I agree with part of that, because... Uh, because I am, uh, I am not a Sim Master fan. Um, no, I, 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 I don't like. I don't like the portrayal. I, I can see the rationale and, and the reasoning behind. I mean, it's even said out loud. Oh, well, if the Doctor can be young and vibrant, then I can be young and vibrant too. Yeah. And and it, they kind of do a, a. It's a it's a mirror image, an evil mirror image of of Tennant's Doctor, and you know that's just too obvious and too easy. And and I'm not yeah. entirely convinced by. Um, by John Simms' wacky portrayal, we know we know the master is, is is mad. We don't need to see it spelled out for us quite so. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's spelled out too too bluntly. But having said that, aside from the moment where Yana he's opened the pocket watch, he becomes the master, and there. I mean, and that and this is good acting. You see his eyes glaze. Oh, yeah. uh, it's all just. There's no over the top. In stark contrast to how. Sim then chose to to, to take the master, <laughs> where it became just... It was completely over-the-top drama school nonsense. This this is an actor who has learned his craft over years and years and years, and he just does it with the minutest of facial changes, facial, yeah. facial expressions. But having said that, once um, Jacobi actually becomes evil, and even says the, I am the master... That felt to me a little bit like a like a, a wrong step, like an offbeat. It was a bit too over the top.
0: Oh, I I, I don't think so at all. I no? think you, you, it oozed evil. I think it was you know a, a clear move over the watersheds. I mean, you you had Yana slowly doubt himself, thinking, well, why do I recognise the words TARDIS? Why do I, mm.
3: you
0: know, why does all this dialogue mean something to me? eventually takes a look at the watch, gets very, very frustrated that, you know, Chanto hadn't actually told him, mm. you know, or asked him, why why haven't you looked at that watch before? And then you just see him slide down the other sides of that, uh, that, that, that slope to, to sheer evil. And I, I think that's brilliant. And it was compromised, in my view, by the wacky few lines that john sim came out with mm. and uh, i i'm not sure whether that was him i'm not sure whether that was just rtd writing the new master that way mm. but uh, but certainly it strikes me that the characterization of the sim master
1: was uh, was was inaccessible well i i like to think that uh, you know if if the regeneration weren't to have happened that, that this would have just been a really big over right i i know i was nice a second ago i've really remembered who i am and i want to be Extra evil. That uh, that <laughs> perhaps if we'd got uh, a, a Jacobi master, that we would have seen a more subdued performance. And I think we would have done. I don't think he would have hammed it up quite so much. I think that was that was done for dramatic effect.
0: And, and certainly when you when you picture Jacobi playing the master, even even before. You'd seen him in Utopia. And if you were to picture what would Jacob be like as the master, it wouldn't be a mad, raving lunatic. It would be a a calm, pathological psychopath. And uh, that's clearly, you know, either isn't Mm. in Sim's repertoire or or Davis decided not to write him like that. And, uh, you know, I've seen John Sim in many other things and I've seen him... Playing mentally challenged characters, I've seen mm. him play. I've seen him do comedy as well, mm. and in his range is there. It's. I, I think he just followed the script and he did what RTD asked him to do.
1: I, see, I seem to remember that that I've I've read or heard him interviewed about the characterisation of the master, and that he wasn't entirely. Uh, happy with uh, being asked to be quite so flamboyant and, and ridiculous, because I mean, having having watched this now and 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 knowing the two parter that comes after. Uh, uh, yes. When you have um, him dancing around, uh, and, oh, and it, that's, next uh, week, Lisa. that's next week. Listen, that's next week. Well, there, there are some nice bits. <laughs> be- there are some nice bits next week.
0: Anyway, let's let's stop talking about Jacoby or, or, or Tennant and talk a little bit about Captain Jack. Really? Of course, this is this is the first time we would have seen him, or first time the audience has seen him. For two years in Doctor Who, and since the end of Torchwood series one, uh, for those mm. who who watch Torchwood, I mean, I'm I'm not quite sure about um, his entrance because the pre credit sequence we see him leap. There's his camera shot with Jack, you know, horizontal mid air. <laughs> Basically, he had bashed his head on a TARDIS, but the next time we see him, he's clinging onto it through the vortex for dear life.
1: I mean, of all of the aspects of um, John of um... Uh, John Barrowman's performance—that's the—that's the one that troubles me the least. <laughs> <laughs> don't think that I was uh, too enthralled to, to to see him again. For me, he's kind of a, he's a misplaced character as far as I can see. I think he was brought in in series one to be the gung ho hero because the Doctor couldn't be. But nine was was perfectly gung ho without him. Uh, by the time Tennant came along, uh, yeah, he—I uh, don't know—you he, 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 he didn't need a. a you don't need a gung ho gun hero in in Doctor Who. No, he, but you need a friend.
0: You need a friend, and you, towards the end, you could tell, es- especially the scene where you have the Doctor one side and yeah. Jack the other, and they, they're just talking. They, they they are so at ease. I mean, it's brilliant acting by both hmm. both men. But the, the the scene, you can, they're just two friends that they're, they're joking, they're
1: doing what they do, and uh, you know Harkness even calls him cheeky at one, one point well this is it because the shtick is by this point that, that uh, when they're having that conversation he's doing the uh, uh the radioactive rods or whatever it is um yeah, and yeah. the doctor's the other side of the glass which is nice it's it's like uh live long and prosper you no, know, uh, wrath of calm moment <laughs> uh, and, it, and it is kind of nice because they have this moment where oh hey man you, you're practically uh, immortal too and they have this kinda of, kind of moment mm. and the doctor's sagely looking at him saying, Oh yeah, you don't quite understand you know what it means. Uh but I don't know, I don't <laughs> Well he call he calls him a fixed point in yeah, time. Yeah. And that's never supposed to happen. And
0: oh, my God, was that absolutely correct. <laughs> I, I have a feeling this was the um the first time we ever heard that phrase, wasn't uh, it?
1: possibly is 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 that maybe that's the uh, setting up the idea of fixed points in time. Doesn't actually turn out to be what is eventually Defined
0: as a fixed point in time, but then again, I think Moffat went on and took that concept much further than Davis ever did. I so. don't know.
1: I mean, Jack Jack's never really floated my boat. Um, uh, yeah. I d- Have you seen Torchwood?
0: Have you seen the first? Oh, two I,
1: series? I, I watched them all. Um, uh, all right. It wasn't too taken with, with series one, but watched it all. Children of Earth is wonderful. Um, and, and uh, that that thing that came out the other year was um, well. I, I mean, I watched it all <laughs> because it's it's like you, when you drive past a, a, an accident, uh, you can't you can't help <laughs> have a quick squeeze, can you?
0: I think Harkness is really intriguing. Certainly within the first couple of of, of seasons, but i say the first couple of seasons he doesn't feature in season two. But I think he's brilliant. The dynamic is brilliant with with, with Eccleston because you mm-hmm. would never pair the two of them up together yeah. at all. And and yet it just works, and I'm really glad he featured in what three or four different episodes, I think, in that in that season. Actually, it was more than that. It was from yeah, yeah. Boomtown onwards. I, I I can't remember. It felt a little bit like an ensemble cast for the first time.
1: He was brought in by, by Moffat. It wasn't he? He's a Moffat character? Because he, he, he was um, Empty Child, Doctor Dances, wasn't
0: he? That's right. But it was devised and created, I think, by RTD. I don't think um, I don't think Moffat actually said, "I want to introduce a character that." Hmm. Davis thought I'm going to bring back here, but certainly Utopia. I think he's the last brilliant outing for Harkness, um, because the, the, the two following um, appearances was it? Last of Drums and Last of the Time Lords. Mm. My goodness, absolutely yeah. diabolical. But um, you know, he hardly featured in that, and he certainly didn't have anything that really made him stand out.
1: I, I think, I think I've, I've less of a problem with Jack Harkness's character than I have with John Barrowman's. Portrayal of, of, of <laughs> and I, I think honestly, it feels a bit like J and T stunt casting. You know, we go, we've got a West End star in. I, I know he wasn't a West End star, oh. but they got him. But he has that kind of. He is a, he is a West End musical actor, and he has this kind of um, it's over exuberant style of acting, which you know under close scrutiny of, of the TV cameras, and when you've got people like Derek Jacobi and to, to some extent David Tennant in the same episode. Uh, who 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 can act in a in a different way? I mean, I'm not saying that John uh, that John Barrowman can't act, but I'm saying that kind of act, stage acting, uh, musical acting is a different kind of acting. And
0: I I, I, oh, I
1: I think that's a really harsh assessment, Mister Fisher. No, I,
0: I really? really do. Yeah, well, he hadn't featured in every single television program ever made no. at that point. So I mean, he 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 really came to prominence through doctor who and that was two years prior to that and his his reality career hadn't kicked in i you know had he been deficient as an actor i i think he would you know his failings would have been very very visible and i i i contend that he acts just as well and he's just as true to the character that davis created in this than any any other story Uh,
1: i'm not i'm not saying he's a bad actor i just think he's a different kind of actor Uh, i think he's he's a he's a West End musical actor and he's very good at that and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that translates terribly well to screen when, when you've got other actors around you sort of highlighting your deficiencies oh he was with Capaldi in Children of Earth
0: and uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't think his deficiencies were highlighted there at all I, I think his presence was almost tangible in, in certain scenes of Children of Earth anyway <laughs>
1: discussing John Barrowman's tangible presences <laughs> no
0: I'll tell you one person whose acting I think probably is highlighted to be slightly Mm. less than a brilliant standard in this, and that's Prima Adjomans. I mean, I'm not saying that she is particularly bad. I think there were other episodes that she was very unconvincing, but there are some lines (laughs) here that I don't buy. I think,
1: no, Mm -hmm. they should have done that one again just to kind of encapsulate what well, I mean we all we all know what uh, what we think about uh, Martha as a companion or, or Freema as, as 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 the actress that, that played Martha I mean she can act but I don't think she was strong enough to ha- to carry that sort of role when you said earlier in the in the podcast that scene between Chando and uh Martha honestly I only watched this yesterday my mind went blank I went Martha was in it because I just I went oh no, no, yeah she was yeah yeah because it's I don't know. She's just. She doesn't. She's not memorable. She doesn't. Her her portrayal as Martha just doesn't grab you.
0: When I was describing that scene earlier between Martha and and up until the point where I rewatched this, my brain had told me that Rose was taking part in that Mm. conversation. It was Billy Piper, and I I don't think that Freema has that many stand out memorable moments during her tenure with the exception and i must highlight this because i think she was brilliant in it in human nature and family of blood
1: yeah but and, and this, i think this is a, i think is, a, is is the flaw in the performance that it, that she fills the companion role but there's nothing really to set i, mean, I know they tried to do the um, she was the unrequited love companion which was uh, probably sounded in, in the script discussions as a, as a nice idea uh to offset the rose thing uh, which had been running for a while but there's there 's nothing really as as a character which defines her from any other, so you can practically you you could slot in Tegan there you could slot in you could you could slot in anyone uh, into any of those scripts there's nothing there's nothing in those scripts that means it has to be has to be Martha Tegan would have been more violent. <laughs> yeah. You imagine Tegan in Family of Blood. Do you
0: know, that's one of my favourite pastimes. I trying to insert classic companions into modern Who and seeing whether or not it would work. And do you know what? It never really
1: does. Oh, But it'd be fun to see sometimes, wouldn't it?
0: Well, with, with the exception of the ones where they actually went ahead and did it, um, you know, with Sarah Jane, for example, mm. and Joe Grant in the Sarah Jane adventures, oh, yeah, yeah. which worked brilliantly. Uh, the only other person I think who would slot seamlessly into this, and this is a massive tangent, um, is, is Sophie Aldred's and Ace. I think she would have gone into almost
1: any modern era nicely. You know when we had Nicholas Courtney sadly pass before there was the chance to get him into the new show, and my God, they must have, they must have planned it, and we had to have these sort of posthumous nods, and it really felt like the new series had, had missed a trick here, like we've missed an opportunity. I think not getting Sophie Aldred back to play Ace in, in, in one of the new yes. one of the new series episodes. Uh, you know, we're going to miss a trick if we don't do it. I, I think she would because she's still Agreed. young enough. Yeah, she's Agreed. still young enough Completely to Completely agree. It. And
0: you know there were plans. I mean, she was going to appear in the Sarah Jane Adventures as Ace. Yeah, she'd had yeah. her letter. I mean, it was yeah. it was confirmed. Mm. Um, you know, and and it's good that Courtney at least featured in in that series yeah. as well. But what I would have given for for them to come back in you know the mm. modern show. You know, either of those two characters I think would have been. Uh, w-, w would have been amazing, but um, <laughs> we we are digressing massively here. Well,
1: yeah, and we do it so well, so why, why stick with what you're good at. That's what my mum always used to say. In that case, we'll stop. <laughs> One of the things that struck me, and this has been my last point uh, on YouTube, is uh, there was some really terrible incidental music, and I'd forgotten how... Um, how late into into the, the series, the incidental music was, was terrible. I remember series one being a, up and down, uh, but there was some ropey stuff here. But uh, thankfully, uh, we can redress the balance with my rather fabulous <laughs> Big Finish Sting. Are you going to say what it's actually introducing, <laughs> or are you just introducing your sting? <laughs> uh, so, we reached the end of the Divergent Universe series with Ian and Michelle uh, doing a, a review of, of A Big Finish, which is about that Divergent Universe, what I have just spoken about.
0: You've forgotten what it's called again, haven't you?
1: Is it called Soul 3? No. Is it called Aliens on a, on a, on a Tower Block? No. Is it called uh, Cat's Upper Space Tree? No. It's called The Next Life. That's the one. Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean, Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States, reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chuff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good.
3: It seems like it's been a lifetime that we've been... Slogging through the Divergent Universe, but this week we get to the final story. Thank goodness it's the next life.
2: Doctor, what's that?
3: Oh, much better.
1: Up there,
2: on the projector. You can't polish not The it. blue moon hurtling straight towards <laughs> us. I think you'll find it's us hurtling straight towards it. Depends on your perspective.
3: Can we not skip the debate? The point is, that we're going to get squished by it, whatever.
2: Nil desperandum, fair Charlotte. We may be drawn into its gravitational field, but all we have to do is program a hasty materialization... <laughs> So yes, we finally reached the end of the Divergent Universe arc, which has run over the last two seasons. This final story, The Next Life, is set on a strange planet where the Doctor and his companions crash land and find themselves separated. The Doctor is in a jungle with a series of odd characters, while Charlie and Carries are captured and have to go through their own ordeal. This was, I thought, very much a story of two sections. The first episode or two, there was some quite detailed character analysis of Charlie and Carries where they're taken into their past and made to relive some quite significant events in their lives. And as character pieces for those two actors to be going through, I thought they were quite effective. They were a bit out there, a bit off to one side, and not massively connected to the main story. But they were quite nice little vignettes, and you got to explore their stories in a way that we haven't really in the past. And then we come back to the main story, which is The Doctor in the Jungle, which is a bit more of a traditional tale.
3: Yeah, indeed. There are some very interesting characters in here in general. For for Keres in particular, this is kind of a culmination of his story arc that we've been going through. We learn a little bit about his uh, deep, dark past. But uh, there's also several other characters that, that are interesting. We we, we meet another Eutermicin, same species as is called Guidance, who is played wonderfully by Paul Darrow. I mean, anytime I get to hear Paul Darrow talk through several episodes of a story, that's great. He plays kind of a a very scary, creepy, religious zealot that is a part of this Church of the Foundation that we've been hearing about. But there are others. There, there's Perfection, who's played by Daphne Ashbrook, so represents the first time since the telly movie that uh, Daphne Ashbrook and Paul McGann got to work together. Uh, there's a character called Keep that that is also uh, kind of bizarre. And and this also features the, the return of Rassilon. Yes, and some of
2: those characters were very effective. I, for some reason, really enjoyed Keep. There's something about his creepiness mm. and there's a certain air that he's got that I found to be quite effective. But I found the story itself particularly... Towards the end was another of these slightly confused and not particularly easy to follow stories. I mean, I followed it, but there was twist and then twist and then cross, and double cross and triple cross. And, you know, it was OK. It wasn't as bad as some of the Divergent Universe stories we've listened to. But it didn't soar for me either, especially over a six episode runtime. And really, I increasingly just thought, can this story and frankly, this entire arc, just be over, please. So we can go back to something a bit more normal.
3: Well, it did try and tie up a lot of the the uncertainties that have been bugging me as we've gone through the divergent universe. I mean, it tried to deal with the issue of why there isn't time in the way that we would normally conceive of time. And I finally started feeling like I was giving a sigh of relief because some things were beginning to fall into place and make, make a little bit of sense. But having said that, there's still a lot of things that are pretty complicated and I'm not sure entirely make sense as we come to the ending. And as you say, I I was eager to get to the ending, and then probably my biggest complaint about this story is that uh Karas and Charlie are bickering through much of it.
2: Oh, and time is running out.
1: They deserve each other.
2: There's no need to gloat, Charlotte. I wasn't. You were?
1: I
3: wasn't You were Doctor Telling.
2: You were. Doctor! See? But you were goading her, Caris. I wasn't! You were! That's enough!
3: And then the climax, as as we're about to, to, to find out if they're going to get back into the, the real world, and they halt the action right at the climax to deal with the bickering. And it's just like a parent. It's like the doctor is a parent driving on a long road trip with kids in the back seat who pulls the car over and says, we're not going to go another inch until you guys get your act together. And of all the times to stop the story, oh I couldn't stand it. It was just like, come on, get me get just just resolve this thing.
2: Yes, I felt exactly the same way. And I suppose this is as good a time as any to briefly discuss the divergent universe as a whole. I felt it was a nice idea to take the story into a different place with different rules, but I think it actually failed in two directions. Firstly, that a lot of the stories have just been kinda of dull to be honest. And then, that the other than the first story, Scherzo, which was a genuinely unique environment, most of them haven't really used the Divergent Universe idea in any material way. We've had the Divergent themselves as a threat in the background, and this kind of vague idea that time doesn't exist, which doesn't really do very much. It's more like a word that doesn't exist, and other than the Doctor being kind of upset about it, it doesn't really have any impact on things. So on a story-to-story basis, you wouldn't really know that they are in another universe. So why did we bother? Well,
3: it, I think it, it's an interesting experiment, and I'm glad that I listened to the eight stories that we listened to here. But it's a tough one, and in, in many of the stories, our characters are not acting the way we're used to them acting. The Doctor is not particularly likable. We went from a brilliant. Doctor Companion pairing uh, in the in the regular universe to a, a major falling out between the two of them that never seems to fully get resolved. I, it, to, so yeah, not a huge fan of this story arc. I I always applaud the idea of trying something new and trying an experiment, but I'm really looking forward to getting back into normal universe.
1: Well, thank you, Ian. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, I do I can't help but note uh, that you you seem quite relieved to to be leaving the divergent universe. But your reviews over the past few weeks have uh, have actually made me want to delve back into them, uh, especially some of the clips you have played of uh, of the Eighth Doctor, uh, of Paul McGann as the Eighth Doctor, because. Uh, I, I'm always reminded that it, it doesn't matter about the quality of the, of the episodes that he's in. He, he's always compelling, always compelling.
0: No, he, he is, and you're right. And they've been talking about some stories that don't usually get discussed, not just on podcasts mm. or within fandom, but people actually think, well, I didn't even know that it existed. Uh, mm. But it's well worth going back to take a listen to these, even if, as you say, the story is either depressing or um, not particularly riveting. McGann is always electric. Anyway, listen. It's been wonderful to recall for the last hour or so with you. It always mm. is. You should, you should make it a much more regular event in your life. I think
1: it's it's looking like it might get that way again, isn't it? Or well, yeah. you bored much more than you used to be? Are you? <laughs> no, well, yeah, yeah, The master scripts aren't coming in like they
0: used to.
3: <laughs>
0: oh well. But uh, yeah, certainly we we can um, share with the listeners uh, a, a little snippet of how you've been spending some of your free time in, but <laughs> but by, by, by way of a little teaser. So, have a listen to this. Key
1: to time! I command! As from this moment, there's no such thing as freedom in the entire universe. There's only my will because I
2: possess the time. Are
1: you alright? Well, of course I'm alright. I suppose I wasn't alright. Mm-hmm. Key to time! I command! Key to time! I command! I am perfectly capable of admitting when I'm wrong. Ooh! Ooh!
2: Yes!
3: Only oh. I mean, this time I was time, I was. time. Ooh, that's
2: what it was! Yes! Yes,
3: that's what it was. <laughs> Key to time key to time key to time Key, 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 key to time I come on I come on I come
1: on that you stay exactly where you are
0: So yes, recutting the key to time. Do you know I'm not going to tell you any more than the title. Recutting the key to time. Join us again in seven days' time when we'll be discussing the end of time. We cannot avoid it any longer. And with a bit of luck, we should have a pretty full camper van. Leeson, are you going to be joining us talking about that? Uh, Let me check my diary. Probably. Work commitments are allowing. Listeners, take it easy. Speak to you again next week. Bye for now. Cheerio. You've been listening to the Doctor Who podcast, where they've been discussing this week, utopia. Ah, utopia. How I love that woman. This episode was brought to you by the idyllic James
3: and the tranquil Lisa. You can find more episodes of the show at the Doctor Who or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or drop by the Doctor Who Podcast forums
1: and say hi. I'd really love it if you did. Thanks for listening. See you later.
0: I guess we should stop talking about questions, although we have had some others as well, or else we're going to take up the whole of this show talking about questions and not about Utopia.
1: Accused. Sting. Sting. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, uh, we can redress the balance with my rather fabulous Big Finish Sting
0: i you going to say what it's actually introducing? Or are you just introducing your stuff. I
1: don't know what I'm introducing. What, 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 are, they, what, are, they, what are they covering this week?
3: <laughs> oh
0: dear. Uh, the Next Life. It's called The Next Life. It's if called? You may, if you come in <laughs> <laughs> you, Can you say the words Divergent Universe somehow as well? To say that the Divergent Universe arc has reached its climax or something and Ian and Michelle are coming in from Divergent Universe. Something along those lines. <laughs>
1: Uh, like sitting at the foot uh, of a divergent pumpkin covered in blancmange it's time to join Ina and Michelle for their last instalment from the Divergent Universe Big Phoenix Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean, Ian from the UK, and Michelle from the United States, reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chop and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. And of course the majority of Big Finish's output is absolutely excellent.